Before we get into the pod, I just wanted to let you know that the first episode of the brand new podcast series we're making called The Chase Pack will be available exclusively on Patreon tomorrow. The series is about five low-ranked pro triathletes who are trying to make it in the sport, but don't have any of the luxuries that the best pros have. I'm honestly really excited about the series and think it'll be one that most people end up loving and relating to on at least some level as it really is just a podcast about trying to be the best you can be at something while also juggling and managing everything else that comes with the reality of day-to-day life for most of us. So if you want to listen to The Chase Pack, all you have to do is sign up to Patreon. To do that, click the link in the description of this episode or in the Triathlon Hour bio on Instagram. Cam, we caught up on the night of the Ironman World Championships after you'd raced and we chatted for about an hour or so. And when we were saying goodbye to each other, you said to me, we just need to repeat that exact same conversation and release it as a podcast. So where should we start? Gosh, mate, I'm 40 years old. My memory's going. That's a, two weeks ago. <laughs> I forgot what we said. But, uh, yeah, I don't know. Um, I guess we probably should start with a crash. I guess no one really knows too much about, shouldn't we? <laughs> For me, that's the only place we start. If you if you said something else, I was going to be disappointed. Yeah, yeah, it's about. Uh, I mean, obviously, it was one of those things where you know I could have got away with it, and not no one really knew about it, and uh, especially considering the lead up to the race and the whole shenanigans around the whole, uh, yeah, center line rule and um, paying attention, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. But um, you know that's that's all part of it, isn't it? You um, you know, when you do stuff up, you gotta you gotta own up to your uh, to your bloopers. And um, I guess in this case, I, uh, I you know, not that it really had any impact on um, you know, my overall maybe overall finishing position in the race. It didn't obviously affect me uh, contending with the you know getting anywhere near Sam. But um, yeah, I uh, obviously. Um, yeah, probably did exactly what I suggested that none of the guys should do and took a few too many risks and um, ended up going ass overhead into a uh, into a nice dusty bank. Because <laughs> I was talking to you and like I was trying to figure out, I was trying to make sense because I was watching the live stream and I couldn't really figure out why you lost that little bit of time at the end of the bike where I thought you probably were going to gain time. And then I sort of like at the time I was trying to figure it out and then I was talking to you expecting you to say, oh, you know, I just faded a little bit in the back of the bike. And you're like, yeah, I know, I just crashed on the descent. And I still, like, do you have, have <laughs> can you tell us, like, exactly what happened? Yeah, I mean, basically, I, 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 you know, I guess it sort of started from the start of the, you know, the race. I, the swim, I, I just got dagged off in that last K of the swim. And I guess that, you know, it kind of put me a bit on the, on the back foot on the bike. So I was a little bit in no man's land as to, figuring out what to do do I you know give it like every like I thought pre-race you know I just give it everything I had on the bike and hope for the best and but I felt quite good you know and so I thought well I'm I mean one same as I say same thing sort of happened as a year before Sam had just got gone and kept going and but I was holding Magnus you know there was people out on the course giving me splits and I was holding him at like a minute minute 15 minute and a half um, back to a minute and I thought great well I'll just stay here and 
you know, when I get to that descent, the big descent, I'll just see if I can close the gap. And, you know, I just passed Clement pretty, you know, on the climb before that descent. And, um, yeah, just started to go for it. And I, I, you know, I've ridden that descent so many times. I, the main descent this is, and, and especially the top section where, you, you know, I guess the recon really helps. Um, the corners, you know, if you know them, you can go pretty quick. And I was getting ready to go over that bridge. And I don't know how, but I just completely forgot about a right-hander before the straight section, before you go right over the bridge. And uh, it was just on me. And I had a choice to either, you know, try and make it, um, not cross the center line and not break the rule. <laughs> I guess technically I probably should have been disqualified, although they did say the rule was only if it was an advantage. So, you know, being a right hander crossing the center line, um, you know, didn't really help you. <laughs> so I guess I didn't cheat. Um, but yeah, it was either try and make this corner, I was going way too fast, probably doing, you know, 60k an hour. And, or um, I saw a, a bit of an option where it was a, a dirt, you know, there was a ditch and then just into a, a pretty solid dirt bank. And I thought, oh, well, I'll just go into the ditch and hope for the best. And um, yeah, hit the ditch and head over the handlebars. I mean, you make decisions like that often in cycling, you know, in bike races, you know, you've got to try and pick, you know, you know that one way or another, you, you're probably going down or something's not going to work out in your favor, but you got to, try and make the calculated best option <laughs> do you go into a into a paddock or a, a fence or do you you know riders in front of you so um you know i made the calculated choice and went head over the bars and sort of stopped pretty abruptly on you know on the backside up on this hill the bike sort of collapsed into the ditch and yeah you sort of stand up and make sure nothing's broken and um pick up the bike and make sure that's not broken and and got going again. And it was just remarkable that that sort of one of the brief moments where there was no one around me, I guess I just passed Clement and, and, you know, the motorbikes were ahead with Sam and, and, and Magnus and, and I guess maybe back behind me with Clement. So no one saw it. So I thought, oh, that's good. That's cause that was quite embarrassing. <laughs> <laughs> you know, got going again, didn't miss too much time. I noticed my, um, you know, my backside was pretty sore in my lower back, but you know, adrenaline just sort of, you know, you kind of forget about that pretty quickly. And uh, yeah, and I guess I probably lost, you know, oh, I know from my Garmin, you know, it stopped for a minute or so. So I lost a bit of time and obviously finished the bike around that same gap from Magnus. So I think, you know, my tactic was probably a good one in theory at the top of the descent to sort of close to him on that on that uh, that downhill. But um, yeah, <laughs> I obviously got it wrong and uh, and ended up, uh, ended up in the dirt. I mean, you saw... Uh, yeah, I guess I could show you my shoes. I cleaned myself off at the next aid station because I was pretty embarrassed. It, it was amazing. I didn't really scratch myself, but um, I certainly had, certainly had some dirt and dust and <laughs> evidence evidence of the crash uh, after the race on some of my uh, bits and pieces that you saw, I guess. That was quite fun, actually, Mick. So where, where we caught up to have a chat was in T2, and it was like it was late at night. It was probably like 8 o'clock or something, um, and we sort of caught up. And we were standing there and you told me that sort of straight away. And then we like got the iPhone lights out and we were just like looking all over your bike for like, you know, where was it scratched and like what was bent and like your shoes and helmet and Garmin. It was actually, yeah, it was actually quite funny. Um, when you, <laughs> when you crashed, mate, give me two things. What is all that's going through your head when it's about to happen and you realize it's going to happen? Is it just like, where do I crash? What am I aiming for? Like, I, or, or is there any panic? Is, is there any fear? And then once you have crashed what's going through your mind 
Yeah, no, I, I definitely, I mean, I'm quite used to that, I guess. So, you know, you, when you race your bike, you come to terms with that. And I'll put it on the flip side in training. I'm I'm paranoid about crashing. You know, I know you'll never win a battle with a car, but when you're racing, it's just sort of, you know, part of it. So um, I'm quite comfortable with the, with the knowledge that you can hit the ground. So no, I wasn't worried. It was more, okay, I think this is a better option than sliding out where I would have lost a lot of skin um, and instead go into a bank and, you know, just hope that I can somehow catapult into it without hurting myself, which is, you know, exactly what happened. So it kind of played out exactly as I wanted it to in that split second. Um, and then, of course, you know, you you the the biggest thing is well you know you got to get back on your bike and get going and you got to you're in the middle of a race you know I mean be grateful that you know it seems nothing's broken and and nothing was broken um and uh and be grateful for that and and get on with the job basically and uh so yeah you know I, I never really dwelled on it I, I mean I know there was a couple of other guys that crashed the race and they pulled out but that certainly was never an option at that point I mean I guess once I got on the run and um things kind of unraveled a bit once the adrenaline and everything wore off, which, you know, that was probably the biggest thing, you know, it took a, a few days to you know, talk with the doctors and it was actually Tom Pidcock that when I got back to Andorra that had probably the best explanation as to why things sort of went the way they did. And yeah. And I, and I also, I was, I was pooping out a bit of blood for the last 10 days or so. So I obviously hit my kidneys pretty hard. So I'd given myself a bit more of a whack than I, then I realized, um, you know, as I said, the adrenaline kind of just, um, you know, in that moment, you know, at the moment I was sort of believed, you know, unless Sam blew up, you know, it was winning the race was, was, was out of the question, but certainly a shot at the podium to me felt like I was well within my grasp. I mean, I, my running was the thing that I was most excited about. I remember before the start of the race, I just couldn't wait to get off the bike and get on the run. I mean, uh, you know, I trained really well and, had done all the sessions that I wanted to do and, and I kind of expected to run really well. So, um, yeah, so that was sort of, that was sort of the, all that was on my mind around the crash. And then, uh, yeah, obviously I got on the run and it sort of just, uh, didn't pan out the way I, uh, way, way I envisaged. So, but yeah, you know, on reflection, yeah, it just was what it was. And, uh, you know, I've just got to, you just have to bounce back and, um, get ready to fight another day i love talking to you mate and even when we're not recording i love talking to you because everything you say you just you have this way where you you make everything interesting you make everything fun you you tell stories pretty much better than anyone i know so i, I love talking to you and just then you you said like you know with what you just said there was four or five questions that i genuinely felt excited to ask you based off it so I want to start with what did Tom Pidcock, who for people who don't know, one of the best cyclists in the planet on the planet, uh, rides for the Ineos Grenadiers with you. What did he say to you after the race? Yeah, well, I mean, on the run, the first you know ten k sort of went pretty well, and then the next five k, I just started. Yeah, I had this urge to go to the bathroom, and 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 I thought I put it down to um, drinking too much salt water. I mean, everyone people that watched the race would have seen, I was pretty desperate to stay in that front group. I knew it was quite a pivotal moment and I'd worked hard on my swim and obviously I'd improved quite a lot. And I almost fulfilled that, you know, when I say front group, that, you know, main group, um, you know, the, the sort of second group, I guess it is, but um, yeah, where, where Magnus and uh, Patrick and a lot of the guys, except Sam, Sam were going to be. And I felt 
to give myself the best chance in the race. I needed to be there anyway. I missed that. And I thought my desperation to stay in that group, perhaps I'd swallowed a heap of salt water and it had sort of gone through me. And when I started running, it just sort of muffed it up. But um, yeah, I mean, I take precautions for that. I have done for, I've never, ever had that issue. You know, I take Imodium and anti-nausea pills in the days leading up. So to prepare for that and I've never had that issue. And uh, yeah, Tom just said, yeah, he's, he's had a number of crashes and, the adrenaline and everything sort of gets you so far, but then at some point your body just reacts and it really is, um, especially a hard fall like that where you where you hit the ground at pretty high speed and and bash that area of your body. I mean, I said, you know, I couldn't, I could barely stand up for four or five days afterwards. My lower back was so sore um, as well. And when I got off the bike, I noticed, you know, I didn't quite feel like I did say running from the swim to the bike where it, you know, that was why I was so excited about the run. When I ran from the swim to the bike, I just felt amazing. Like I felt like I felt great. Like I'd, I'd really worked hard on my technique and I was just really excited for that run. And when I got off the bike, I could feel that, you know, that left uh, lower left side of my body just hurting. And I went to put socks on and I could barely, you know, sort of bend over. And I was thinking, oh, there's something not right here. But, you know, you just put it out of your mind. Um, put your socks on standing up and keep going and um yeah anyway and yeah just sort of telling tom all that he he just said oh mate it's pretty simple what happened you yeah the adrenaline's worn off and and your body's react by um basically uh sending you to the to the porter john so it was um yeah it was good to sort of get someone who's had experience i guess of crashing like that and uh more probably more often than me um and uh get a bit of an explanation of what it was and i said yeah i'll probably explain why i've had a bit of blood <laughs> coming out of there for the last <laughs> 10 days as well <laughs> and he just shook his head and he just said you know you just you're just not normal <laughs> the fact that you tried to go out and run against those guys <laughs> with your body in that state and um but of course uh you know even when that started and then you know i had to slow down quite a bit to stop myself from needing to go to the bathroom it was inevitable a few times but yeah, you obviously just probably don't want to be there. There's no doubt, you know, you, especially when you start the run in, you know, I guess kind of in the thick of the action. And um, yeah, I remember when I stopped the first time and I came out and, and, and Patrick looked over and saw me there and just in his eyes, like <laughs> wondering what was going on. And uh, um, and I know for Patrick, for the competitor, didn't didn't want to pass me in that way. Uh, and he felt for me. I mean, I, I got to say before the race, Patrick was someone that came up and spoke to me and, you know, wished me all the best and felt that it was um, a great opportunity for me. So, uh, you know, he genuinely looked disappointed for me when, when he saw me there. And, but uh, yeah, yeah, it's just, uh, as they say, pardon the French, but shit happens, doesn't it? Sometimes, so, Literally. <laughs> but I, I, like I said to you before, when we were there, I don't think any of this was bad luck. It was, um, you know, it was a lack of, the finer details getting them right and and maybe getting that last little period right i mean i think everyone you know saw the norwegians came up and had a run with me and yeah i mean i i just felt awesome you know leading into the race that you know a month out i'd, I'd done that block of work the, the main block and um just had a couple of weeks go and um and yeah just in that last three weeks i guess things just sort of got a bit off off track you know when i went to that bike race thinking that i could sort of manage both sports at the highest level got sent to a you know world to a stage race in uh in in belgium you know probably the most dangerous one of the season i guess i was i thought it was a big win by getting through that without uh crashing <laughs> ironically <laughs> um and um 
yeah, and that, but I think that was sort of a bit the beginning of, of 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 sort of leading to this sort of thing happening. I mean, I should have known that corner was there. Um, you know, the the bike getting ready because of that. You know, I was meant to be at home in Andorra, and the mechanics were all going to be at my house. We we're going to sort everything out, and with with the Vuelta being on and the guys being in Barcelona as well, and um, of course me going away meant that didn't happen. So all of a sudden, I had to sort of move all that. Um, process to nice and uh, find other mechanics and all of a sudden mechanics were busy with the team and it was all it turned into all a bit of a rush um my preparation as well you know like you go away to a race for a week you think that's great and get the conditioning but you know you spend you know an extra four or five days out of the pool that you didn't plan to do you know that sort of was planned to be quite a a big sort of swim week and so then of course you panic train a bit and 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 you know, not being one of the best swimmers, although obviously I think showing that I've improved out of sight, um, you know, I, I kind of panic trained with that in that in a couple of weeks out from the race. Um, and uh, and then all of a sudden in the race, I mean, I showed I had the speed. I was there for 3K or more and, and just got dagged off. You know, it's, you know, just a bit of conditioning, you know, and um, or maybe lack of freshness that, um yeah, when you lose it there, you know, you, you're just so close, you know, you, you can't help but reflect on your preparation and where you get it wrong. Um, and then, of course, yeah, the crash on the descent, it's it's lack of knowing what, what, you know, I could say I knew the descent and I did. I mean, I did. I've done it many times, but I obviously didn't know it well enough. And, and certainly with the bike and everything that last week, trying to get that organised. Um, yeah, I did miss a couple of rides that, I wanted to do on the course um, so through, you know, just disorganization on my part. And uh, yeah. And, and when you, when you fail to prepare, fail to prepare properly, you know, prepare to fail. I think physically I, I showed I was certainly one of the better, better guys in the race. Um, and um, yeah, but uh, if you don't, if you, if you, if you try and race with the big boys and you, and you don't, you don't do all the small details, right. Um, you know, like they always say, the, you're going to get exposed in the marathon in a, in an Ironman. So, uh, you know, that's, that's just sort of what happened. <laughs> yeah. It was a, a funny way of, of, of that happening, but, um, at the end of the day, the facts are the facts that that's sort of where it fell apart on the marathon in the, uh, in the race. If you're training and care about your health, then nothing is more important than sleep. Pillar performance's triple magnesium has completely changed the way I sleep. I was a five to six hours a night guy who would struggle to fall asleep every single night. And if I woke up during the middle of the night, would really struggle to get back to sleep. But taking pillars triple magnesium 45 minutes before bed every night, literally within, I want to say a few days, had me being a falls asleep straight away guy, sleeps for eight hours type of guy. And that makes getting up for early morning bike rides and swims just so much easier. Like it's unbelievable how much easier actually. Try it for yourself. Head to Biller Performance's website and use the discount code HTT20 for 20% off your order. I want to come back to this, the finer details in your preparation, because you said a lot of interesting things to me that I want to try and get out of you here. Um, but one more question about the crash. And there's no doubt you are, if you're not the best descender in long course triathlon, you're definitely, you know, top two or three. But I think you are the best from what I've seen watching races. Um, so it is ironic that you were the one to crash. But there is a funny story here, and that was in pro briefing um, before the race. So there was a few people in pro briefing who uh, led to the meeting 
going from sort of the f- 15 minutes it usually is to about 90 minutes. And uh, those, those same few people, they were really asking the same questions again and again and trying to get a different answer and trying to get clarity. And at one point, um, one of them was talking about how to, to descend as quickly as you possibly can, you need to cross the center line. Like you need to be able to go from left, uh, from right to left, back to right. And you turned around and you sort of, you were fed up at that point because it had been going on for a long time. And you, you said to him, I'm, I'm paraphrasing, but I'm going to get this pretty close to right, I reckon. You said, if you can't stay in the right-hand side, right-hand lane, right-hand side of the road, buddy, then work on your dis- descending skills. And yeah. then you were the one that ended up crashing. Yeah. No, I think it was actually Rudy Vonberg. And I just said to him, well, Rudy, you might need to slow down, mate. <laughs> you can't do it on the right-hand side of the road. And then, but then you were like, if you can't do it uh, at, at speed, slow then down. slow down. And if you can't do yeah. that, then work on yeah. your descending skills, buddy. Exactly. Yeah. And uh, yeah, and I was, and I was the one that uh, obviously got it wrong. So that's like the point, you know. You, you know, I could have said nothing, and because at the end of the day, at the end of the bike, you know, I was a minute and a, a bit behind at the top of the hill, and I was still that behind when we got to transition. So in theory and no one saw it so no one would have even known um <laughs> yeah. but you know you gotta you know when you when you if you want to you know be say this stuff and, and try to set an example well you, if you get it wrong you know you gotta you gotta be prepared to have the egg on your face as well so um but having said that i i, I certainly don't feel it was that i mean i i simply just um yeah didn't realize the corner was there and uh and and the rule was pretty was pretty straightforward. Don't cross it. Um, but the the biggest point of it was, I mean, they know it's inevitability. I mean, you you go around a corner and and some of them are so tight, it's almost impossible to to stay on that side of the road. Um, but uh, it was really don't you know create an advantage for yourself by cutting the corners. So I guess in my case, you know. I, <laughs> I went off the, I, I crashed. So I certainly wasn't giving myself any sort of an advantage by, uh, by going onto the other side of the road. But um, yeah, I, I didn't really understand why everyone was carrying on there. I mean, the fact that that rule has been around forever, you know, it's just, um, and, and yeah, I mean, it's, uh, it was really a non-discussion. I mean, Yarn was the weird one. I mean, the guy of his experience, I mean, they clearly said, you know, ask questions at the end. And I guess Jan tried to be a bit of a patron and think he could butt in, you know, very early in the briefing. So I told him to be quiet, which he was, which was good. I mean, that that at least let them get through the actual briefing part. And then uh, at the end, obviously, when it opened up to questions, but Jan never asked another one. Um, but uh, yeah, but Rudy and obviously Sam, you know, asked a couple of questions. There was someone carrying on about the motorbikes, which, was just ridiculous as well. <laughs> so uh, I kind of had to then at the end stand up and just say, that's it, we're done. Because <laughs> yeah. um, we would have been there all day. But um, yeah, yeah. So I mean, again, I mean, the fact that that happened, you know, I mean, to me as well, it kind of just highlights like, I think I, I sort of said, you know, when I rocked up, you know, a few weeks out, three, four weeks out, I felt like I was ready. I had everything organized. I was, you know, had a plan. I felt great. Um, the last three weeks didn't quite go as organized. I mean, you would have sensed that. I mean, we were staying up in, you know, Cap up in Monaco where the team was because basically because I was having to get things organized. Um, and I wanted to come down to do your show and, you know, I couldn't. There was just things happening and 
it was just not like the week I like to have leading up to Kona. You know, you want to be really relaxed. And um, and to be honest, it was the same last year in Kona. Um, and then the fact that, you know, I went and, and crashed, it, it kind of just uh, reminded me of how out of my depth I was really to to think that I could rock up and, and try and challenge for the, for the world championship against guys that, basically frankly are very professional nowadays and uh and you know i'm sort of spreading myself quite thin and and sort of just trying to you know patch up patch up everything and and um and compete with them so um uh yeah to me that was why i was sort of happy to talk about it because it wasn't anything as far as an excuse it was more of a reflection of how i you know went over you know prepared properly and and did the bits you know the training part i've always said is almost easy it really is and i think you know i mean i know i mean not to try to um draw comparisons but um you know sam sam of course and and even his brother i I mean i remember sam i raced him in the can uh international race back in 2019 and i didn't know the guy at the time but i remember catching this guy on a road bike with clip-ons quite late in the bike and um yeah, and I thought, wow, he he held on well. Um, and um, and uh, obviously, I, that day I went on and won the race. I actually outran Tim Don. He had uh, remarkably um, stayed with me, stayed on my wheel in a non-drafting race for uh, for a hundred k. And I was so mad, I just ran as hard as I could, and I beat him. Um, and I'm not, I don't think Sam was third. I think he might have been fourth or something. But he was probably only eighteen or so at that point. Um, but well, for sure he was. Um, he was only a kid. But uh, after that, I remember getting a message also from his brother, um, or it might have been later in that year, nineteen after Kona, and his brother just telling me that Jan and I were his, uh, you know, he he we admired us, and his little brother told me one day he was going to be Ironman World Champion. And I mean, I guess Jake was probably ten or eleven or yeah, something. Yeah. So when Sam won, I thought, crikey, the bloody Laidlows are going to win this title for the next 20 years because Sam's going to be there. His little brother's going to come on and keep winning. But I kept in touch more with Sam, obviously, after that. And I know he followed everything I do, you know, did on Strava. And, you know, he'd tell me and, um, and uh, watch what I did. And, and I loved the fact that I was one of the athletes that would share everything I did in those days. And, uh, and guys like Sam and that generation could look at it and, you know, figure it out and, um, you know, see, I mean, when I joined the team, obviously we, I had to take the power off, uh, well, you know, with the pro thing, they, they take the power off your Strava thing, but, um, that's really the only thing that's sort of come off, you know, as far as me sharing things, I always would share that my data when I do a blog or whatever afterwards. Um, but, um, yeah, just the training and, and Sam's been the same, being very transparent and, and I, you know, I saw them in Lanzarote after the race. I saw Richard. I didn't see Sam um, immediately after, but I saw Richard. We had a long chat and talked about training, different things. And, you know, I know that we all basically do very similar stuff, to be honest. And and Sam and I keep in touch with, with stuff that we do and, and share power and data throughout throughout this year and have done throughout this year um, of what's going on. And, and uh so what I'm really getting to here is, you know, that you you learn that the training and, and Pavel Sivakov and I had a similar one in regarding cycling, you know, road racing yesterday. 
we're all we're all training very similar you know we all know how to to do the work or all can do the work or or we've all been filtered through the system to be the ones that are capable of doing the work um but it's it's all the others now you know it's off the bike that that or off yeah pardon the pun that that to me highlighted this year in in nice particularly that you know i don't do well and i haven't taken any time to focus on any of that sort of stuff to do it better probably really since 2018 um because i've just assumed that i'm i'm right up there and you know i mean obviously part of that's the aero stuff and then um the rest of it you know is is organizational stuff you know i mean just even i noticed now with my wife you know we've it's always been a big thing you know like i travel these guys travel with you know coaches and staff and whatever else and yeah, to me that that's I don't really feel like I'd perform best with that, and it's always worked just being there with my wife and the dog, and then obviously now we've got our little boy, and um, even back in twenty one when we went to Copenhagen that year, you know it was he was a baby, and we'd have someone there, but you sort of just strap him to your back and off you go. Whereas three, and he's racing around here, there, and everywhere, and I guess my wife's pretty full gas, just keeping an eye on him, so. All of a sudden at the races, I'm alone, you know, like I, I not, not that I want anyone to feel sorry for me or anything, but I just, it was a real realization, particularly, you know, in Nice that when there's a lot more stuff going on to organize and everything that I'm on my own, uh, I literally, you know, I'm trying to sort out media, I'm trying to sort out getting to this, I'm trying to sort out my bike getting finished, you know, making sure that I've got my registration done in time. Um, and, uh, and that's not a big deal. You know, that's how I guess most people would do it. But the guys that I'm competing with, they're a bit more organized than that. And, uh, and that all takes energy. And, and, and that's, uh, that's the energy you really need on race day when you want to race at this level. And I mean, I could, I guess, go out there and race conservatively and within myself and just try and do a great performance. But, you know, fuck that. I'm there to try and win. So, of course, I'm going to chase these guys. <laughs> And give it everything I can. I prefer to fly and die than never to, you know, fly at all. So um, that sort of, I guess, you know, the, you know, the crash was uh, to go back to the beginning was really just um, a good kick in the butt part. Yeah, it certainly was. My butt's still a bit sore, <laughs> but um, it was a good kick in the butt just to say, listen, dude, you just you got to do this better. You you know, you can be a fit and everything as you like, but you got to you got to be a professional if you're going to compete with these professionals and, um, and do things, do things properly. So, uh, you know, we've got to, we've got to tighten everything up a bit here in the, in the work household and, and do it better. You've done it again where you've just like literally given us 15 gems. I want to just touch on a couple of things, but I want to, I want to actually ask you a question about what you just finished on then, but just a side note to go back into the early part of that story. It was so baller how, the majority of people in that meeting, I think the pro briefing were sick of it. And you just stood up. You literally stood up in this, like there was probably 80 people in there and it was going on forever. And you just stood up and said, we're done. And literally the meeting finished on the spot. It just finished just because you stood up and said, all right, we're done. Just, it was so baller. <laughs> like I was sitting there at the back. I was in the dead back row. I was next to Patrick Lang and Bjorn Geisman. And we just looked at each other and just started pissing ourselves laughing. And you just got up and you walked out. And it literally ended. It didn't go on after you left. It was so that was hilarious. It, it is nice, like having, I guess, having that, and that's why I'm happy to. I know I want to admit that I stuffed up, you know, because 
I realize these guys respect. I mean, I do, and that's nice. I honestly, it's so nice that these. Whenever there's an issue, guys come to me generally, um, and uh, or you know they've got questions they feel like comfortable with, and and that way I, I feel like I can comfortably be a bit of it because we don't have one, you know. I mean, we've we've sort of talked about it and tried to have it, and we've had you know we've got the union, you know, the PTO and all that which sort of was meant to sort of be that and i was sort of i guess very you know much a part of that in the initial stages to get it up and running um but being in a different sport i didn't feel it was my place to be too involved in that um because um what you know yeah I've, i haven't been around all the time but i do notice that we don't really have that person and so uh i guess sebi was one you know in the past and it's not about it's not always about results that does that. It's like it's I guess just how you conduct yourself. And and I guess um, fortunately for me, you know, throughout my whole career, I've, I've sort of had time for everyone, and and always will. And um, and it's nice that uh, yeah, you can you could use that to sometimes just um, you know be a bit of a spokesperson, but you can also use it for some common sense to make sure everyone can. Uh, get home and relax and get ready for the race and end a meeting that might've gone on for three days. <laughs> <laughs> and then you talked a lot about Sam Laidlow and, um, and your relationship with him. Um, and you talked about Richard Laidlow, by the way, who is one of the all time good people in our sport. I love Richard, but Sam Laidlow and his performance on the day, can you maybe talk to me about his bike ride? Because he really won that race with his bike. It was a complete performance and his swim and run were, were big parts of it as well. But the reason he won was was his amazing bike ride. Can you talk to me about just how good it was and, and was it amazing like I'm saying it was? Uh, well, yeah. I mean, obviously. I and mean, I agree he did win it with the bike. I mean, it's a very different story when you get off the bike with a lead like that. And, um, you know, you've got the ability to you know <laughs> run the race part the pun the way you want to run it and um so he had a huge advantage there so he definitely definitely did it all on the bike um yeah i mean it was if i think about you know what he did i mean i if i sat down what well, i did i've written down what my goal was for the race you know um about well the beginning of the year really and uh it was basically, you know, make that second pack, you know, a minute back with uh, Magnus and whatever those guys, and then, you know, try and make my way to the front on the bike. And 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 I thought around four and a half hours would be, you know, sort of a really fast, you know, the best the best sort of bike someone would do. Um, I thought I could do that. So I thought that would be me, and then run close to two forty. And and I thought close, you know, close to eight hours would win, and and that's exactly what happened. So, you know. Um, what he did on the bike was was basically kind of what I would have imagined would have been, you know, the winning performance. And uh, I guess the big difference for me was I thought it'd be me and it was him. <laughs> so, um, and he and he did it, you know, comfortably. And you know, I had without with my sort of, you know, idea of what I could do. I figured, you know, on my very best day, I'd be around that four thirty. And uh, you know, if I was okay, it'd be you know 435 ish which ended up being what i what i did um and um and obviously what he did so yeah it was well i think i'm i think i'm pretty decent and he said and he went out and actually executed it so um to me it's it's incredibly impressive what he did um but on every part of the course you know he was strong on the climb he was strong on the flat and and the descent i think like I said in the you know lead up when people were talking about it changing the race, I, I well 
I mean, even with me, it, okay, it changed it and that I hit the ground. But in reality, I was still, I didn't lose any time to them. So maybe I was a fraction quicker, but not much, um, you know, like in in the end of the day. So I, I did say that I don't think the descent will um, be decisive for the top guys. I think all the top guys are, are decent at descending. Um, I said there'll be some guys that aren't good that'll lose a lot of time. And that's sort of what probably happened. But, um, but yeah, the fact that, uh, yeah, I think what Sam did was, was incredibly impressive because he was strong in, in every single part of it. Like he's complete, he's, he's a complete cyclist, um, in that regard, you know, in, in the sport. And, and then, yeah, the reality is when you, when you get yourself in a position like that on the bike, it's, um, it's obviously a lot more, you know, it's a lot easier to, to comfortably execute. You run, you know, unless you talk about someone like Patrick, who's used to, you know, plans to do it the way he did it. You know, he knows he's going to give up time and, um, and then he's, he's focused on how he's going to execute his run. So, um, yeah, <laughs> incredibly impressive performance by Sam and, and certainly in par with, in line with what I, what I thought, what I thought he would do. And, um, and I guess, uh, for me, that was some consolidation because, at least I, at least I still know what the level is. It's just a matter of um, doing the work to to try and be, be able to step up to that level and and be there with him in the future. And this was something that me and you spent a lot of time talking about, and you just touched on it earlier when you were talking about the finer details and 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 the future for you in the in the sport and how you're going to go about your racing and and how close you really are, but but you haven't quite taken that next step that I believe you could and that you personally believe you could. Um, so you're in this funny position, Cam, where you, you came and you, you got into long course triathlon and you got really good really fast in, in 2019. We know you had an amazing performance at the Ironman World Championships. I sort of think you maybe could have had even, had even a better day that day. And this year at Nice, I looked at it and I thought, well, if Cam wants, he can at least podium this race, if he wants. And But you're in this position where you have the Ineos contract where just randomly you can get pulled to a tour in Belgium and you don't get that much notice that you've got to go and do a week of, of stage racing and then you've got all the travel associated with that and you've got team commitments, team camp stuff. What do you do going forward? Do you Because you're in that blessed position where you're riding for the biggest cycling team in the world and you're one of the best long course triathletes in the world. Now, you could probably be a little bit of a better cyclist or a little bit of a better long course triathlete, just depending on if you decided to go all in on one. So what do you do for 2024? Yeah, um, it's that's it. And I think, the, I guess the, the, the only part about that that hasn't quite gone right, I mean, you know, if you think back to 20, well, obviously we had COVID, so 2020, but 21 was almost going to be proved that this was perfect. You know, if you look at, what I did, I started the year with the team and um, did some racing and then had that big, you know, big block over summer, similar to sort of this year and went to Copenhagen. And I mean, I just felt awesome, you know, and, and was just on track for Kona nicely. Um, and, uh, and then obviously got canceled and then, you know, 22 rolled around and of course we're kind of being canceled, you know, and then they're going to do it in St. George. So it's not even Kona. Um, and, uh, it kind of just lost the impetus, I guess, also, you know, within the team, even with my attitude towards it, because to me, um, as much, as great as an opportunity in Nice was to, to try to win the world championship, it's still not Kona. Um, and so I think 
just that backup role became even more prominent. You know, it's like, oh, great. Well, Cameron's like able to back up, you know, just whenever, you know, I mean, there was, and, and I was sort of happy with that. And I started to accept that as, um, you know, I, I try and uh, manage my training as best I can. And then sort of at the last minute, I, I get called here and there and I'm just constantly a, a making it adjustments. Um, and I guess this, uh, the only annoying thing with it now is, you know, when I got to say with the niece experience is it kind of that, that whole attitude around me and even the way I look at myself and prepare myself has filtered through to how I prepare for, for Ironman, you know, like, oh, you know, last minute, anything can change and just always adapting, you know, you don't really have any, any plan uh, well, you can have a plan, but it, it always, it always has, it could always change. And I think with Nice, I guess I didn't handle it as well because I did have from the summer, I started to finally get a good plan and get a good structure of training in. And then all of a sudden it got tipped on its head, you know, in those few weeks, you know, leading in. So, um, uh, so yeah, really sort of to answer the question, um, of course, like you say, I could probably focus on either and do a bit better, you know, uh, independently. Um, but now, you know, it's sort of like a, an opportunity to do things a little differently as well. And that's, um, there's, there's a lot of guys that have now won, you know, at that level. And uh, I guess that's all that drives me. And I guess I'm more, to, I guess I'm, I guess the allure of trying to do it differently is greater than uh, maybe the safe, the potentially safer way of doing it if that makes sense so um figuring out a way to manage both for me would definitely be the best option but um yeah obviously there needs to be a little bit more uh yeah a little bit more uh planning and sort of professionalism around um around you know particularly Kona should I be capable of, of qualifying for that for next year and um, giving myself the best chance to actually go and execute the race that I, you know, believe I can have because, you know, I'm still there. I'm still sort of dangling around the edge and I know, you know, what, you know, I can do just slightly better to make big, big changes. And I think also now the team kind of believe that too, because, you know, they've realized that, uh, you know, how how it all panned out and um and also but you know for for a large extent how how close i still am with it you know did we able to just drop in it's one thing for these other guys to you know go and ride on the track or go ride you know on a different bike or whatever you know it's, at the end of the day it's just a bike i've got to run and swim <laughs> there's a there's, there's a little bit more involved there and uh and the fact that i've still been able to prove that you know i mean i guess particularly the swim is the big one you know like i can swim with some best swimmers in the sport you know a lot of races this year i was the front pack um so i'm obviously i don't think i'm a joker and i think i'm getting as i said i still believe i'm getting better and um yeah i'd really love to try and do it in a way that i guess no one else has done it and uh and so yeah going so that's sort of you know what my what my plan is going forward you know this year was certainly better and and almost per i think almost perfect it, it it almost was as good as it could be and so and that was much better than last year so yeah i guess there's a good chance that it could be even better again next year you know you kind of you kind of got to earn your stripes with this stuff 
My favorite training and racing fueling product by so far, it's not even funny, is Precision Fuel and Hydration. Their gels taste great. They don't have that yuck, fake, artificial flavory taste. They have really nice textures, unlike most thick, gooey gels. They come in easy-to-use practical packages so you don't get your hands all sticky and they have like a really easy-to-use twisty top on the PF90 gel, which I love. And they're not as expensive as certain marketing-hype-driven nutritional brands. They've also got electrolyte tabs, which I think are awesome and every triathlete should use in training and racing. So if you want to try them for yourself, then head to Precision Fuel and Hydration's website and use the discount code HTT23 for 15% off your order every single time you shop there. Do you think that with where the sport's at right now, the best error that we've ever had in long course triathlon by so far, it's not funny, that with Sam Laidlow, Christian Blumenfeld, Gustav Eden, Patrick Langer, et cetera, et cetera, Magnus Ditlev, with, the, with them now in the sport, do you think that it makes it a lot harder to achieve what you're trying to achieve versus if you had have tried to do it in, say, 2015 when the depth at the top end of long course triathlon wasn't quite as, as deep and, and probably actually probably not even as strong at the top end. Like we probably have the best top end strength we, we've ever had in, in, in long course triathlon. Do you think that maybe the sport's past the point where you can sort of dabble in the professional cycling and still be a world champion and you might have to settle with, you know, just coming third at the Ironman World Championships because of all your other commitments? I wouldn't see it as dabbling. Like I said, I, I, I want to turn it. I mean, the goal has always been to turn it into giving you an edge. And, and I believe to win at this level, you know, now, um, and obviously more than ever after seeing what I saw on the weekend two weeks ago now, um, you need an X factor. You always need an X factor. I mean, an X factor will always give you a chance. I mean, you know, in the past, if you were very strong on the bike, you could give yourself a shot obviously if you're a great runner you can always give yourself a shot but you you sort of need to have something and then in reality now that's not enough you have to be good at everything um, so, um but if you don't have something that stands out you no chance at all and um i still believe i mean i guess in essence you know i mean get, getting through um yeah the way the way i did that race at that time maybe that wasn't quite right but you know we we've talked about we you know if we we have had different periods where you know i felt very good in the other disciplines off the back of doing you know some racing on the bike or you know period periodizing it a bit better um and uh yeah it's not that i feel like it's i call it i call it dad it's more you know, I can do a job for the team and it, it really, I mean, obviously on the bike, it's very hard for me to improve, you know, because you kind of already at a certain level. I mean, I was, Sam, for example, spoke to me about the swim, you know, it's, he'd have to do so much more swimming if he really wanted to make a difference. Um, so it's just not worth it for him, you know, like, because uh, then he might get away, but he might not. And even if he does, it might only be a tiny margin. That would take a huge amount of time out of his swimming training as well as, you know, out of himself in the race. Um, so, and I, I guess that's a little bit with me on the bike. I mean, to get better on the bike, I feel like having the opportunity to race on the road, but race at a, you know, at the front end of the race, you know, really be part of the action is the best way to just sort of, you know, keep me up there and potentially if all things fall into place, give me a bit of an edge. And, um, you know, if, if, if the weeks had led, it had been different leading into the, into Nice, maybe that might've been more evident, but it obviously wasn't this year or last year. So, um, 
yeah, I I think that uh, I think that you gotta if you want to be one of the best now, you got to have something up your sleeve. And um, I guess I'm I'm sort of putting all my eggs in the you know in being in that team environment and having that team environment drive me. I mean, you know, I'm already refocused on doing a couple of races at the end of the year, and I've been back here. I've been you know Josh Tarling, we were training with him last weekend and. Yeah, you know, a couple of weeks, the week before his world championship, I made him do one of my two hours PT efforts with me, you know, the, the Tri-Nations loop and he and Hayden Wild actually. And I mean, uh, yeah, Josh was white at the end of it, you know, but he, I remember him saying to me, like, he, uh, he's, you know, he was so happy at how much it hurt because he said that's how much it hurts at the end of the TT and you got to hold it. And um, I thought, for for a 19 year old kid, what a great attitude! I mean, I was worried that I'd cooked him, you know, and he was going to be <laughs> terrible at worlds. And you know, he went and you know nearly beat, you know, ran Garner and and Evnipol really close. And then, so then after the race uh, the other day, he wanted me to get back here as quickly as possible to start to, for training because he was he was getting ready for Europeans and he wanted to make me suffer. He wanted me to do a couple of efforts on his wheel while I was tired and. Uh, Tom Peacock and I and I went out and followed him, you know, he followed his wheel and right, he killed us. And then obviously won the European Championships, you know. So being in that environment for me is something that really drives me and 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 I think that's what I need to utilize to get the absolute most out of myself to be the best I can possibly be next year in Kona. And um yeah, I think that's the best strategy for me. I just don't think that um a one-dimensional approach um, is actually what I need at this point in my career. I, I really think I need to be outside of my comfort zone, um, but obviously just see where I went wrong organisationally more than anything else and um, and talk to the team and, and figure out how we can just tidy those bits and pieces up because I, I really believe that that's, that's, the, that's the biggest uh, thing sort of holding me back at the moment. That Josh Tarling story is amazing, by the way. Picturing you and Hayden Wild just, yeah. uh, you know, putting it to the guy who went on to come third at the, the World Time Trial Championships is a, a great story. Um, <laughs> when you say you talk to the team, are you going and like uh, how invested are the team in your long course triathlon exploits and journey? Are you going and talk? Are you ever talking to Dave Brailsford? Are you like going to the top and is he invested in it? Or like, yeah, how, how invested are they in helping and you know, t- helping turn you into a, an Ironman world champion. How how much does the team and your teammates talk about it, care about it? Uh, yeah, so we've we've talked a lot about how we could, you know, obviously with the Kenyans, with running, talking about running camps over there and different things. And but in reality, once the season starts, you just I've just become rider number thirty, and that's probably more me. You know, I don't step up and say, "Hey, listen, what about we talked about doing this?" You know, I, I'm sort of been a bit too blase and just sort of go with the flow and happily sort of settled into that last guy on the team and you know i'll be here training hard and setting an example for the guys and if you need me give me a call and i'll be i'll be there and and to teams in the team's defense you know unless i step up and say something like these other guys do when they want something um you know i probably need to take a bit more of a single-minded approach like like they do to to some of the things i need to to that I'm going to be the best Ironman I can possibly be. And, and whenever I occasionally do this, you know, that they straight away are onto it. Um, 
but it's i guess it's um you know i sort of see myself as the bottom guy and so i don't really deserve the time and i know how busy and hard working everyone is so i kind of don't want to take up people's time <laughs> worrying about me and also guess with the pressure that comes with it but then you go and perform like i did on the weekend and all you do is feel like you let people down so the reality is you're better off giving yourself the best chance to succeed so that you know you give yourself the best chance and not letting people down but yeah i mean I keep obviously Rod Ellingworth runs the day to day of the team and anything I do ask for, he, he does for me or, you know, approves or, you know, um, gives the, get, ask the team to help me with. But, you know, I did have, I had breakfast with Dave Brailsford last week as well when I was still up there in Nice. And, you know, he obviously talked to me about the race and how that went and how everything had, had sort of gone. And, um, yeah, when we kind of sat down in 2019 after Kona and talked about, doing it this way it obviously probably hasn't panned out the way either of us sort of plan he's not even you know around the day-to-day of the team anymore and and um it was it was meant to be a little bit different yeah I was meant to be sort of last man up but um yeah it was more you know just to put in context like I would often as everyone knows you know from 17 18 19 I was with Tim Kerris and and the guys, but all mostly all the year. I mean, I'd be in Australia with Froomey and then was in Tenerife, you know, around Easter and then, um, you know, in, in Europe through the summer and at the training camps. And then obviously Geraint the next year were in LA from January and then, you know, Tenerife from March. And, and like, so I was at the training camps and everything around all the guys all year. And, and often, I'm obviously doing similar stuff, but I was at the pool every day. I was running. I mean, I was I was only doing Ironman, so I wasn't just there riding my bike. But on the bike, I was as you know, obviously showed myself and 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 had a had a decent level. Otherwise, you're not invited to train with groups like that. And um, and anyway, so then you know when the idea with the team came up, it was more you know, often I'd be at a camp and, and there'd be a shorter rider and it'd be the joke of, oh, we should just take Cameron. But I wasn't on the roster. So once the roster spot became available in 19, you know, that was Dave's and my discussion. You know, continue as is and every now and then, you know, when we need someone, we'll call you. But obviously just, you know, COVID completely derailed that. I ended up having a full season, probably proved I was a bit more useful than they thought, you know, particularly in the Welter. Um, was one of my, you know, better better races and, and obviously each year after that, you know, I've been part of some some important races and and sort of I haven't really been to any training camps because they kind of left me at home in case they need me for a race, which, you know, it's it's been very different to sort of how we envisaged it. So I think it's just a matter of getting back to that formula that I guess in, you know, 19 had already shown itself to be probably a very, very good one and um, and refining it and doing it even better. Um, and, uh, and so really, you know, that, that real, that onus really is, was, is on me because I kind of just allowed it to evolve into the way it did. Um, where, yeah, instead of being like a, you know, I guess an important part of the, you know, the, the, the guys preparation for the, for the tour, et cetera, and being on their camps with them all, all year and doing all that and, um, you know, just getting called up now and then. I was just, I'd just be at home, obviously with a group here. There's all these guys here to train with, etc. But um, you know, at the beck and call, a bit more often. And uh, 
yeah, haven't really uh, got the most out of myself in the past few years. I feel like I've, um, yeah, improved here and there, but uh, obviously not been able to put a complete performance together like I was able to, you know, even back in 21. So do you think that you could use the team's almost unlimited resources, like the biggest cycling team in the world? They have a lot of money, but they also have a lot of connections to great like training environments it's like you talked about the the kenyan training environment with alu kipchoge yeah. do you think that you could go to the team at the start of next year or at the end of this year and go hey i really i really want to keep doing what we're doing and helping the team but i also really want to commit to winning the ironman world championships in kona next year i don't think i'm going to be able to get there two years after that and be the best i could be because you know i'll be be that bit too old maybe or uh, I don't know if you believe that, but that's probably how I'd look at it, that if you're going to win Kona, next year is the perfect opportunity. And I think you're really close in t- terms of how good you are. But you just, like you talked about, you just haven't quite nailed all the details. So do you think you could go to them with a plan and be like, I really want to win it next year while still helping the team, but here's some things I think would help. And like, say, I want to go and spend four months or three months at the start of the year working with a really high level swim swim coach like whether it's a you know a really high level Australian Olympic swimming coach or an American swimming coach and I then want to go and do a month of training at Kenya with Alud Kipchoge and his crew and inside of this I still want to come and do training camps with you guys so that you can take advantage of all those resources you're blessed with by being part of the team and working hard for the team to try and really dominate or or win the Ironman World Championships next year. Yeah, I mean that's for sure. I mean that and that was that was always kind of the goal. And um, I guess Tim Kerris and also leaving the team, you know, changed a bit. Um, he wasn't around the day to day, you know, after twenty one. So, uh, but yeah, I think also it's it's not like I'm an individual, um, you know, like Kipchoge or the Formula One or whatever. You know, they're all very individual um, projects. And and fortunately, I've just sort of become. I've become part of the team. Um, I mean, I'm a, you know, uh, I've been, yeah, like one of the members of the, of the team. I've been there quite a while now. And, um, and there's obviously this trend in cycling, you know, with these guys doing different disciplines. So instead of it, and I think this was where it could have been a bit daunting for Ineos and the team. Oh, we need to have this whole team around Cameron for his Ironman. AI I didn't really want that, <laughs> and, um, but that's sort of the way they do it. So it was kind of like, how do we manage this? Because if that's sort of how I, the team would normally do it, but I sort of didn't really want the pressure and the expectation of having all that. I mean, feeling like I have all these people just 100% committed to me. Um, you know, no one really knew how to deal with it. So that's how it's, it's, so it's sort of evolved into the way it kind of has. Like I just sort of do triathlon on the side. But now that I've established myself as a member of the team and, you know, you've got these guys like Tom and et cetera, you know, um, other guys doing gravel and different things, um, you know, it all, it just more becomes, a, you know, a, a, a cool part of an extension of what the, the cycling team does as opposed to an individual thing. And now I'm more comfortable to be able to ask for, you know, for that because I know that, the performance is actually important. You know, it's, it's good for the team. You know, it's good to show that we're great athletes and, and it's not about um, obviously trying to be successful in, in your individual sport, but be successful, obviously individual sport, but also be very successful on the road. 
I mean, that comes first and foremost. You know, I mean, it's a cycling team. So the team getting results is the most important thing. And and obviously, the most important thing is that I have a role. There's no point me being on the team if I can't contribute to that. And uh, and so I believe that I do. Well, obviously, then the team must believe that I do. That's why I'm still there. And um, And I think that now, yeah, not so much... So to answer your question, not so much like a whole full-blown, oh, this is like a tri-focused thing. But yeah, Cameron's on the cycling team, but obviously we're going to do everything we can to, you know, give him the best chance to to win the world title. Um, but it would be more, like you say, on an individual basis as far as taking myself away to somewhere, you know, to a camp or whatever, or... Or you know, having a doing a camp, say in LA with with G, you know, over the like I would over the winter, but yeah, in the mornings, as you say, be with uh, you know Brett Hawk or someone, you know, like a a really high level coach to to just make that small jump. So because, um, like you say, I don't think there's it's not a lot. It's just doing everything just that bit better now. And uh, I do the I do the the hard part, which is the the work. Um, and I can do the work. I can handle the work. I'm doing more than I've ever done um, this year in the preparation. Um, and, uh, yeah, just tidying everything up. And, yeah, exactly. Who knows? Maybe next year is the last shot. But um, at this point, you just take it year by year. You know, I mean, it, it's uh, if, if you're still good, you're still good. And when you'll know, you'll know when you're not anymore. You'll know when you start to decline. I mean, if I don't know when you're that swim group and, and the bike was just going nowhere and everything else this year, then you would have gone, oh, well, regardless of how the preparation went, you're probably just not there. But the fact that I was where I was shows that I'm still right there and um, and potentially still with my best days ahead of me. I mean, at the end of the day, I've only been doing the sport the same amount, well, for less years than Sam. <laughs> so yeah, <wow. laughs> maybe we're on a similar, uh, he's obviously improved a lot faster, but that doesn't mean <laughs> I won't be a lad. Mate, uh, Ineos could make one of the most amazing documentaries ever if they decided, like, hey, we are actually going to get right behind this help cam, following with a camera. Like, you could just make one of the all-time documentaries, training with their team, going to Kenya, spending time in America with Garant, and you know your time with Froome and things like that, and then going to Kona and you know doing a prep camp before there, and then going to the race. Like, it could be one of the all-time great documentaries. Um, Guess I got nothing to lose now. <laughs> no, literally, and oh. I, I just don't think you're far off. You said that you agree. We've talked about that in, in detail. I think people don't realize how close you are to being capable of winning the race. I think a lot of people talk about you like, oh, yeah, Cam could be, you know, up there. Like I hear that a lot about you. Like Cam could be up there if he has a good day. I think people underestimate just how close you are to being able to not only be up there if you have a good day, but to be a genuine chance to win the race on, on that start line next year. And Something you're known for, right? Um, so that's just a, that's just a side side thing, just to maybe pump your tires a little bit. But I truly believe that, and I believe in everything Appreciate you're saying. That. Yeah. Um, to wrap it up, I want to ask you a question, mate, because I've now been told this by so many people that I can't not ask you. And the last time I got told it was by Richie Port, who, thanks to you and um, another guy who listens to this podcast, you you guys both put in a good word for me with Richie. I've now become mates with, and one of our main talking talking points is you because we just both love talking about you and the funny stuff you've done. Um, but he said, which is what many people have told me, that you are just one of the hardest working trainers they've ever met in their life. And Richie actually said to me, he said, 
if you have three weeks to get ready for a race and you need a training partner and you can, and you can only have one, go to Worthy. He'll get you as fit as you need to like, if you want to go and race at the Tour de France, three weeks of training with Worthy, like you will be fit. What is it about you and the way you train and, and, and what you do day to day in training? Is it that you just train harder than other people? Is it just that you train more than other people? What is it? What makes you such a hard trainer and one that's respected by so many high level endurance athletes? Yeah, I guess um, I, it's funny because you think oh, you can't be anything special, but then when I look at it, you're surrounded by the best guys. So I must do something <laughs> out there. Um, I think it's, you know, lead by example a bit, you know, I mean, you just um, show up every day. I, I mean, I always say that like it's, uh, yeah, it, there's one thing to sort of train, you know, and go through the motions. There's another thing to actually apply yourself during training. And, and I think that's something that I've always, you know, really believed in. Um, you know, you can sort of just go through the motions and get the hours done, but there's another thing to have a real purpose and everything to that. And then, and then there's just a general attitude, you know, I mean, there's, everyone's going to have tough moments. Um, you know, it's, uh, it can be lonely out there. Um, also sympathetic here, you know, like when, when things aren't quite right, you don't quite get the sessions right or whatever. Um, I've been through it all, you know, I've been through every single level of sport. I mean, to a small extent, I've even been a world champion years and years ago in a different sport. So I know what I have, I feel like I've experienced sort of everything. So when these guys, you know, these incredibly high level guys have this, you know, moment, this, this, you know, this, this moment in training or this uh, comment or something, I, I guess I've, already got an arsenal of information to sort of respond to it in the right way and sometimes it's um i mean i i've said this you know quite a number of times but in interviews but Geraint, you know i mean tim kerrison talked to me about him always having a bad day in in the grand tours and that's the thing stopping him from winning a grand tour and that was before we were in la and um and uh, last day in LA, he, he rocked up and he'd been out for dinner the night before and he was tired and we went to do five or six hours. And he said, oh, you know what? I've got to travel tomorrow. I don't get on, get on the plane tired, blah, blah, blah. And I was like, ah, oh, yeah, okay. But mate, like, yeah, you don't really want to. These are the days, you know, where I've, you know, I'll tell you, mate, I've been with Froomey and some days we go so slow. There's people with years on their bikes passing us, but he always gets the miles done. Like I said, yeah, the sometimes these are the days where you gotta you gotta get it done, and get, and this is a guy that's already won two Olympic gold medals. I mean, he knows this, but at that moment, you know, to be there with him to tell him because if he was on his own, he would have done his hour and gone home. So I said, let's go this way. And lucky you're in LA, so you know you find a bit of a more exciting route. We're in the Hollywood Hills, so you know I took him on this little loop, and before you know it, we've done six hours. You know, and. And I have no idea if that session, you know, the impact it had, but I just know that if I hadn't have been there, that, and obviously then in the tour that year, you fast forward, and he did not have a weak spot. Like Kerrison, Tim Kerrison said it still, is the most solid a rider has ever been for the team in a Grand Tour. He did not have a weak moment. And I just always smile and think to that day, you know, seeing him face, like seeing him want to go home, and it was a bit weary that day. And, and, um, and just that I had the, I was lucky that I was there to have that comment. And did it change the course of everything? Who knows? Maybe, maybe not. But um, it, I think that sort of might be an example as to why I can be useful to these guys. 
you know, Richie, you know, like he wants to do a stupid Java K. He loves getting KOMs from different people and, um, you know, needs a guy to do a lead out. And sometimes that's like at the bottom of like a, you know, 40 minute climb. And, you know, you, you're, you're three hours from home and he wants you just to go absolutely all out to, to lead him into this climb so he can try and break this record. But that means killing yourself and you've still got to ride yourself home afterwards, you know, <laughs> but you do it. And, um, you know, because he's going to get it. He's going to be in a great mood and it's going to be a much more enjoyable ride home than it otherwise would have been. So uh, I'm referring to the sidling, by the way, you know, in the Scottsdale loop. Yeah. And, um, and uh, so I think it's things like that. I mean, like I said, we all, a lot of us, I said about the training, you know, a lot of us go through the hours and just get it done. Other of us actually apply ourselves during that time, but there's obviously a lot of us that do that. Um, so, but I think it's more the fact that I can just be there with the right comment or, you know, it's okay to stop, you know, cause you're feeling a bit crap and having, and grab a Coke and a Mars bar, you know, like sort of just being a, a bit of a, um, a confirming, a confirming presence word, you know, to these guys that they, that they trust and, and know that I'm certainly not going to sort of suggest anything that I don't genuinely believe is the best thing for them. And, um, and as a result, as you say, I just, as like, you know, throughout my whole life, I mean, when I was rowing, I always ended up, Drew, Drew, Drew and James Tompkins always ended up training with us, like with my crew, with the double or whatever crew I was with and stay great friends with them. And I mean, it's always, I've, I've noticed when I reflect, I've always been around the best people. And uh, so, yeah, I'd just be, that's why I'm just so freaking hungry to, to try and one day have my, my moment on the biggest stage. So that's what, that's still what drives me, you know? So it's, uh, I'm really fortunate for that. Mate, I've loved chatting to you. I, seriously, you are one of the most amazing people on the planet to chat to you. So you're just full of everything. Like you've, you've just lived it all. You, you're a great storyteller. You, you're right in what you say. Like you said it yourself, but you are like, you're just a guy that that is compassionate and and you know loves people and loves life and it's super contagious and so you know i just found myself many times there just sitting back uh forgetting that i was part of the conversation more just felt like i was listening to you on a podcast rather than me being part of it um so thank you for coming on and chatting Uh, an hour on your sundays is more than enough an hour and 10 minutes now on your sunday is more than enough so thank you for giving me that time mate that's like a record for me though that's a short one yeah well great we, me and you could easily have done this for three hours if someone didn't didn't, didn't cut it short, and then you <laughs> your family wouldn't have seen you all morning. Yeah. And yeah, that, yeah mate, honestly, yeah. I think you said it. You want to have your day in the sun. I don't think you even realize. I, I know you know you're a popular guy. People love you, uh, myself being one of them. But I don't think even you realize how many people would love to see you have your day in the sun. And that's why I just. God, I just I hope you have it next year, and I hope you, I hope you take a bit of a selfish path next year. Like not completely, because that's not who you are. You're you're a giving team player. You always have been your whole life from the stories I've heard you tell. But I do hope that you decide to be just a touch more, just ten percent more selfish, and give yourself every opportunity you can to have that really special day at Kona next year. And no doubt we'll talk many times on the podcast before between now and then. But yeah, I just want to I just want to tell you that 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 I think a lot of people would want to see that. Yeah, I appreciate that. And I've always, I always sort of say that, you know, a player that makes a team great 
is as valuable as a great player. I mean, I used to think that in rowing. You know, I always like to be seen as the last guy in rowing to, in the boat because if I was the level I was at, then it meant everyone else had to be better and we'd have an amazing crew. And um, it's the, sort of the same here in the in the cycling team. If I'm the best number thirty in the in the world tour, then you know we can fight our way back to the <laughs> to the top. You know, everyone's got to be better than you. Um, and uh, and I and I must admit, I just really appreciate. And that's another thing that hurt. You know, after Nice, you know, so many people saying we're sorry you didn't have the day we all wanted to see you have. You know, I generally. Uh, I feel that as well, how much people want to see me do well. And, um, and obviously, yeah, you know, now that, uh, you have the, whatever that day looks like, you know, it could just be putting up a great fight. Who knows? But, um, you know, I know, I know what I want it to be. <laughs> and, um, <laughs> and, uh, and also I know how special it'd be for everyone else. And, uh, for, for someone like me that does genuinely, uh, think about others, quite a bit i don't know why that is and it's not a not trying to make blow my trumpet for that but i genuinely do think of others and uh, a lot and um i'd love for everyone to feel as good as i do when i have that moment so uh yeah i'm gonna work my backside off and see what happens in 12 months and the good thing about kona mate there's no descents for you to crash on Exactly. I said that to the team. I said that's the positive. You know, we can wipe that out because it's straight up and back. There's not a chance I can hit the deck there. Well, I guess there's a chance, but uh, tell you what, it'd be nice if we had. I mean, as much as I'd love to go back and have a fast day so I can try and uh, see if I can, you know, ride. I'd, I'd like to take every record if I could. Uh, when I by winning. It would also be nice to have a proper Kona day that I've never experienced with the wind. That would be. That would be something else too. Yeah, I know. And we are wrapping up, but this is something people don't know about you. I think I think you haven't shown this just just quite yet in Ironman Triathlon no. is that hot, windy, no. hard days, no one is better than you. Like 40 degrees, windy, you're, you suddenly become my favorite. Probably you and Patrick Langer become my favorites overnight. Yeah, I'd be really happy with that. The more miserable, the better. <laughs> All right, mate. Let's wrap it up. Thanks again. Great talking to you as always. And yeah, we'll chat soon. Pleasure. Sounds good. Thank you. The Feed is your one-stop shop for all of your triathlon racing and training nutrition needs. If there's a nutritional product worth its salt that you use in training or racing, it will be on the Feed. So instead of having to go to multiple online websites or, or shops or having to run around town looking for them, just visit thefeed.com and grab it all from the one place. 